So this is Stephanie Sarkis, um, and this is the podcast Talking Brains. And I'm talking with Rebecca Amster. Uh, she has a very interesting background. She's a, a counselor, a licensed marriage and family therapist, and an attorney. Uh, so we're going to talk a little bit today about uh, something we ran into on Twitter um, about um, therapy slash coaching. What's the proper term? How to tell if somebody's licensed? Uh, so I'm going to tell you a little bit about Rebecca because, again, she has a pretty outstanding resume. So a name of Philadelphia, Rebecca received her undergraduate degree in human development and family studies from Cornell University. Immediately after graduation, Rebecca traded winter snowstorms for tropical breezes and attended the University of Miami School of Law and then Nova Southeastern University for a Juris Doctor and Master's in Marriage and Family Therapy respectively. And since 2003, you've had a, a practice with therapy and law in Miami. And also That's you're, correct. you're a guardian ad litem, and you also have done several uh, family law cases, uh, and you're a parent coordinator. So and we can talk about parent coordinating maybe even in a future podcast, uh, but it's helping parents work together for the betterment of their child uh, when there is a, a shared parenting situation. So, so welcome. Well, thank you so much. It's great to be and, here. Oh, I'm so glad you're able to. And, and we have kind of an interesting story of how we met. So we were just kind of having a good laugh about that before. Um, oh, my goodness. <laughs> so so we just met, I don't know, like a couple days ago, I think. Um, and so there was someone on Twitter that posted that she was a sex therapist and gave pretty inappropriate advice, um, some gynecological advice that was uh, that could be potentially harmful to someone. Uh, so I did some, uh, you know, Google sleuthing and found out that she was not listed as a licensed clinician in our state because she is based in the same state that we are, Florida. I'm in Tampa. Uh, you're in Miami. So uh, did some digging, and it turns out that she is not a licensed therapist. And in Florida, we have a law, part of the law, that talks about exactly what a sex therapist is. And you have to be either a, a psychologist, licensed psychologist, an LCSW, social worker. Uh, you have to be an LMFT, uh, which you are, or you have to be an LMHC, licensed mental health counselor, which I am. And laws differ by state, but basically she was not licensed and had licensed therapists on all her stuff, her website and all her social media. Uh, so we're going to talk a little bit today about what you can do to tell if someone actually is a therapist. Um, I've run into this before, actually, to turn someone in another state that was uh, saying that they were a therapist and they, they were not and giving out pretty bad advice. Uh, so we're going to talk a little bit about how you, the consumer, because you're not just our clients, you're the consumer, and how you can protect yourself and make sure that you, um, you know, get services from someone that really knows what they're doing that are licensed. And we'll talk to you a little bit about why licensing is so important, uh, because we have to put a lot of time and energy into licensure. Uh, and so we'll talk a little bit about you know how to get the best services you can. So, so Rebecca, tell me a little bit about... Um, uh, licensure and how your licensure works because yours yours might be a little bit different than mine like how many hours you had to do and well sure so i i actually um right i hold two licenses as it were because i'm a i'm a licensed practicing attorney um and so it, to be a licensed attorney in florida not only do you have to attend an aba american bar association accredited school but you also have to pass the dreaded bar exam which is a two-day test and it's a horrible experience um, and you study like hell for, for six weeks to do it. We say the only thing worse than taking the Florida bar is taking the Florida bar twice. Um, mm -hmm. And so you hope to pass it the first time out. Um, to be a therapist, I actually find that to be, um, frankly, a better test 
uh, of one's skill set because to be an attorney, I just have to pass a test, but I don't actually have to ever walk inside a courtroom. Mm-hmm. Um, but to be a, a marriage and family therapist, not only did I have to complete a master's program, but I also had to take a comprehensive exam upon completion of the program. I had to do internal hours within the program, and I graduated from Nova Southeastern, and so I did my internal hours at the Brief Therapy Institute, which is hosted by the campus on the campus. Um, And then I have to do external hours in order to get the degree. And then for marriage and family therapy, you need to get um, an additional 1,500 client contact hours. uh, Right, just to specify for everybody, that doesn't mean just that you're hanging out at the office. You have to actually see 1,500 hours of people face-to-face. And you may not get it all in one year. Right. That you have to do it over the course of of at least two years. Mm -hmm. And then you have to take another test. And in fact, I am not yet licensed as a marriage and family therapist. I am a registered intern with the great state of Florida. I am working on my final licensure hours. I expect to take the test at the end of uh, 2018, beginning of 2019. So I also have to meet with my supervisor once every mm-hmm. other week and talk about my caseload. And you have to do 100 hours of that, and it cannot be done any less than 100 weeks. Correct. So, so I, I am pretty highly regulated. I am regulated mm-hmm. um, in my law practice, but also in my therapy practice, because I have an actual supervisor. Florida has not deemed me you know, mature enough yet to really be on my own. And I think that's mm-hmm. really important, because... There's no experience like face-to-face client hour experience. Right. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And and also, I think if you're a registered intern, I think you have to you have to say that on all your documentation. I think if you market yourself, or I think you have to actually say registered intern in marriage and family therapy. Or there, Florida's got some pretty strict laws. And, That's and this, correct. Yeah, and I think the only other state that has laws as strict as ours, what I've heard, is New York. Um, I've heard mm-hmm. that about the bar, too, actually. Um, so we have to do a lot of kind of on-the-ground work, so to speak. Uh, and so you can you can kind of tell um, listeners, you know, why, was, why I got so worked up about saying they were a therapist. Uh, because of the hours and blood, sweat, and tears that go into being a therapist. Uh, this person also mentioned that they were board certified, and I want to um, clarify a little of that. Uh, board certification doesn't necessarily mean that you're licensed. So, Rebecca, you were just telling us about all the hours we have to do. I had to do very similar hours at University of Florida, 1,500. And I think, actually, I was 2,000 when I did it, uh, face-to-face contact hours. Um, and then we have to do practicums and internships and yada, yada. So, uh, but board certification means that you have held to the standards of a certain board. Now, here's the tricky part. Boards can be I – could, I could make my own board. Sure. But, and I can make the board of Stephanie is awesomeness, right? And I can make my own criteria, and that's what gets tricky. And you could say, well, I'm totally board certified, but what does that mean? Right, absolutely. And especially, you know, we have to take in Florida the, the um, NBCC, National Board of Certified Counselors exam, the NCE exam. And that pretty much, if you don't pass that, you don't get to continue on to accruing your hours for licensure. So uh, NBCC, they're a solid board because you have to have gone to a KCREP accredited program. What I mean by KCREP accredited means that uh, some certain counselor programs, uh, uh, they have to follow certain criteria to qualify. 
Uh, and also, uh, you have to, again, have completed your licensure. You have to abide by uh, particular code of ethics that's just for NBCC. And that's a sign of a good board is that they actually have their own code of ethics. And I have to complete so many hours of continuing education um, within each renewal cycle of that. So that was, that's why I have NCC after my name. Uh, and so you'll see quite a few counselors with that. So that means that we've gone to a pretty solid board certification. I can't remember the board certification this person said they had. Uh, but, so I don't know if it's valid. But uh, if someone's a sex therapist, you'll see that they are probably on uh, board certified by ASEC. That's A-A-S-E-C-T. I believe it's American Association of Sex Educators and Clinicians, counselors. Uh, so you'll see that uh, after their name. And ASEC does have a lot of weight. Uh, with uh, board certification, and again, NCC does as well. Um, and um, and I can't speak for psychologists. You're a psychologist. I'm not a psychologist, but I, they also have their own board. So absolutely, yes. Uh, yes. So always research somebody's board. If they say they're board certified, find out what board is. You know, do the Google, look it up. Yeah, it's it's just so important to be an informed consumer, particularly in this sort of day and age of, of internet and interconnectivity. I mean, you and I, Stephanie, we literally met over Twitter because mm -hmm. we shared a concern, but you and I were each able to independently verify who we said we were. Mm -hmm. You were able to look me up on the Florida Bar website. You were able to find my licensure information on the, you know, the Department of Health and, and the same sort of thing for me to you. And, you know, in this day and age, you know, there's a lot of, of clinicians who also practice therapy online, which is a great resource, but you really need to know who you're talking to. Yes. Um, because otherwise, you know, you, you, you question kind of what are the results you're going to get from, from your, the experience you're having with your therapist. Right. And I, I think it's also important to note, too, that any therapist or coach that says they guarantee you're going to get better, run, run, run. Uh, we are not allowed to state efficacy. Uh, and that's one thing that will really tip you off. That's a red flag if a, a therapist says, well, you will get better uh, from doing this type of therapy. Uh, that's not appropriate. Uh, if you have a, a coach, let's say you go to a coach. Uh, coaches can be anybody. I could make my dog a coach. You know, she'd be pretty good at it. But, but you get better. Yeah. So, you know, free, free kisses for everybody. So, uh, but coaches can be anyone, which means that, yeah, they can be therapists, but they can also be someone that decides that they're going to be a coach and that's it. Yeah. So, I mean, when I think about coaching, I think about it um, in sort of more uh, pedantic terms, right? Like a coach says, good job, keep going. You can, you can do this. You've got this right. And that's all good coaching information, mm -hmm. but the therapeutic process is often pretty challenging Mm -hmm. And it's not someone saying, yeah, yeah, you got this. It's someone asking you maybe some really tough questions so that you can engage in your own self-assessment. Um, and right. that's a much different process from a coach. Oh, yes. I mean, you're going to leave some therapy sessions feeling kind of wiped out because you've been talking about, you know, your family and your childhood and your history. And that's a big difference between coaching and counseling, too, is that coaching, like you said, you know, it's more encouragement. Um, you know, therapy is encouraging, too, but it's encouraging in a different way. Uh, coaching, you're focused more on the present and the future. And uh, therapy, you talk more about how your past experiences or past parents' behavior influence how you how you're getting along in the world now. Uh, so it gets more psychologically intimate. Um, so when you have a coach that is not licensed, they are not allowed to do any type of uh, diagnosing, 
telling you that they think you have a certain thing. Um, they can't uh, you know, tell you the you know, or ask you about your family of origin. We call it that's the family you grew up with. Uh, they're not supposed to do that stuff, and and that gets tricky because there's a fine line sometimes. Now, if you go to a coach that's also a licensed clinician, yes, they are allowed to do that kind of stuff. Um, I tend to have clients for therapy that are separate from my clients for coaching because it gets kind of tricky you know, with that line. Uh, yeah. But again, you know, if you see someone that's a coach, ask them, you know, uh, you know, where did you do your training? Are you a licensed therapist? Uh, because there are coaching board certifications, but a lot of the board certifications are run by their own entity, meaning that, again, they've established a board, they've set up their own guidelines, and they've said, okay, now you're a coach. Uh, and again, sometimes they are reputable, sometimes not so reputable. So always do your Googling. Yeah, you know, on, on the tail end of that Googling, I just think it's so important. I love that we use Google as a verb. Um, <laughs> it's so important, you know, to really be an informed consumer. Uh, you know, this, 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 you know, sex coach person that you and I both reacted so strongly to on Twitter, you know, I, I dug a little deeper on her. Because I, I was just kind of curious about about who she was and and what was that about, and I discovered that she had an Instagram account, and I went and I looked at her Instagram account, and you know that her Instagram account was just not appropriate by any stretch of the imagination with respect to how she was representing herself, and she was also representing herself on her Instagram account as a, you know a, a licensed sex therapist, and mm -hmm. you know it's. It's really important to, if you're going to work with someone that you're going to be sort of emotionally vulnerable to, to really know who that is, uh, make sure right. it's somebody that you're comfortable with. And, and again, in today's Internet day and age, you can really do that and you can learn a lot of information and it becomes really important you know, mm -hmm. in terms of being an informed consumer. Right. And more and more states do have a license lookup, like you were mentioning. In Florida, if you go to their Department of Health, if just Google D, uh, Florida DOH licensee lookup, and you can type either one of our names into it. And you can see, you know, that you're a registered intern and, and I'm a LMHC. And you can also see if one of us has been dinged for any disciplinary stuff. You know, fortunately, neither one of us has been. Uh, but you will see in, in cases where someone has been brought before the board for violation, uh, you will see that um, on the, there's an option to click and see if they'd already ever uh, had a, a I guess an infraction, and you can see on there that the, sometimes they'll name the infraction, sometimes they'll just say that there is a disciplinary thing on record. Uh, so that's also something to look at too, is to dig a little deeper than just seeing that they're licensed or not. Yeah, absolutely. And and you know, I just I always recommend you know not only that, but also um, I'm a big believer in sort of trusting your gut. Mm -hmm. And so so I had a case recently, Stephanie. I think I mentioned this to you earlier, where I I had um a teenager that I was seeing. Um, and the mom came in and sat down with me and, and burst into tears. She had spent, she'd brought her teenager to see a licensed PsyD, so someone who was licensed. I looked them up. Um, and the teenager had spent like 90 minutes in a, like essentially a clinical interview, but the teenager didn't really want to be there and was sort of huffy and attitude the way that teenage girls can be. Um, and at the end of these 90 minutes, the PsyD um, proclaimed to the mom that this, this child had borderline personality disorder, which is a big diagnosis. And to come, um, to, that right, to, come to that conclusion after 90 minutes, um, it's just not right. I mean, there's just so much more information that needs to be gathered. 
And the mom was hysterical. You know, how could my daughter, and she's got these problems, and now what are we going to do? And oh my gosh, and I'm trying to co-parent with her dad. And, and, mm-hmm. and she was hysterical. And, and I said to the mom, like, what happened after the PsyD told you that your kid had borderline personality disorder? And she said, well, he immediately prescribed this 10-week intensive therapy program that he runs. And it costs mm-hmm. many thousands of dollars. Yeah. Right. And I, I said, well, you know, that might be some snake oil. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you, maybe you ought to consider a second opinion. Right. You know, and, and, and I've met your kid and I'm not a diagnostician, but I don't read borderline personality disorder. I read, mm-hmm. you know, right. huffy, and, huffy teenager. Right. And, and just to clarify for, for listeners, um, borderline personality disorder is known as a quote unquote heavy diagnosis because it carries a lot of stigma with it. Uh, unfortunately, uh, it's also seen as one of the personality disorders that's very difficult to treat. And according to our diagnostic manual, you, you are only supposed to diagnose personality disorders when people are 18 years of age and older. So, uh, to diagnose someone under 18 with borderline personality disorder is already a, a red flag. Uh, but yeah, I think it's really important that we need to encourage people to get second opinions. Even if, if they're questioning us, I like it when people question me because I want you to ask me questions. If you feel like maybe, you know, I talked to you as a couple and maybe you felt like I was talking more to one person than the other, let me know that. Like, ask me questions because good clinicians want you to ask questions. They want you to be interested in the process. They want you to kind of call them out if you, if you think that something's, um, not sitting quite right with you. Uh, and also, if you say you're going to get a second opinion, a good clinician will encourage that. They will say, you know, please do. Please, please get verification or, or, you know, opposite opinion, but get a second opinion. You know, I've recommended that to people sometimes. So. Oh, absolutely. Um, I couldn't agree more. I, you know, yeah. I think it's important that, you know, if the, you know, you, I don't think that the clients should feel um, disempowered in their relationship with their clinician. And if they feel uncomfortable and if they feel like mm-hmm. this isn't working or they feel like it's not a jive, right? Don't, don't worry about hurting my feelings. If, if it's not right. working for you, go find something that works for you. My, you know, my ultimate goal with all of my cases is to be fired. <laughs> Thank you very much, Rebecca. Right, and, and I'll explain a little bit about what you mean. So um, so our happiest day is when you tell us that, that you don't need to come to see us anymore, that that you're able to, to take on life's challenges without, without feeling like you need to contact us. Uh, and also there's a saying in therapy that if you're not been fired by a client, you're probably not doing a very good job uh, because right. – <laughs> we, we're going to tell you stuff that you may not want to hear. Um, you know, it can get pretty real. And um, I practice cognitive behavioral therapy is one of the modalities I use. And it's it can be pretty direct. Uh, and so, you know, I'll say up front, you know, is it okay if I'm direct with you? But, you know, you'll, you'll work with people as a therapist that you tell them, you know, what you're doing. I don't know if that's good for you. And that person will say, then I'm done. And you say, okay, so, sure. so you know, that, that happens. Um, and people just, sometimes you just don't click with your therapist. Yeah. I, I went to someone, I was just like for my own therapy, cause you know, we're encouraged to do that. And yep. it's just a good idea. And I went to someone, I said, you know, this just, I, it just felt like it was not going to work. Just felt like it. And, and you don't need a reason to go to another therapist. You, right. you, you can even be getting a lot of your therapist and just want to get somebody else's two cents and go see them. Yeah, I mean, it's, if, if you're getting bored in therapy, but you feel like you need to do some more work, go find someone else. Change it up, you know? Right. And again, good therapists are totally okay with that. So I, I think that's what you meant by, by firing. I just want to explain yes. a little bit to everybody. Yes. So, 
I, I, yeah. I, I love it when my clients say to me, well, Rebecca, it was really nice to meet you, and I feel like I've got a handle on this now, and, you know, I'll see you. And I go, right. that's great. I call that graduating, and that's what we want. That's the happiest day is when someone's doing okay. Uh, so, yeah, and so, it, again, when we talk about consumer thing, it's really important to note that you are not just the therapy client. You are a consumer. You're a consumer just like if you're buying a car. Uh, if you're going to the grocery store, you are buying services from us. So you have every right to get a second opinion. You have every right to say that you're not happy with the services. And in my uh, my informed consent, so that's what I give people when they first come in, it says, you know, if, if you're having issues with something I did, first talk to me. And if you're not happy with that result, here's the, the phone numbers for my licensing board and my uh, board certification board. Uh, because I want people to make an informed decision. Now, if you say to your therapist, hey, um, I'm having some issues and they either don't want to address it or change the subject, that's a red flag. Um, if you say, well, I want your contact information because I'm thinking about filing a complaint and they refuse to give it to you, that's a huge red flag. So uh, it's just things to look out for. And again, like you said, trust your gut. You know yeah. yourself better than anyone. And if something doesn't feel right, especially when you're a parent, uh, we were talking about when we were emailing back and forth that, you know, we both come from a, a mindset that parents are the experts on their kids, not us. Oh, yeah, and, absolutely. And, and if a parent feels like something's not right with their kid, no matter how many therapists tell you that your kid's okay, if you feel as a parent that something's not right, something's not right. Yeah, I'll, I'll give you an anecdote, a related anecdote. Um, for many years, as long as I can remember, my dad had numbness and tingling in the fingers of his left hand. And he just like couldn't figure out kind of what was happening about that. And, and since, you know, I'm 42 now, since I'm 10, he had this problem. Mm. Um, and, he, and he went and you know, saw a doctor and he saw a general practitioner and he saw a chiropractor and he saw all kinds of things. And he just sort of gave it up as well. I guess I have this weird thing. And somebody said to him. Don't give up until you know what it is. Mm -hmm. And so he took another swing at it, and he went and saw a neurologist who diagnosed him with Parkinson's. Oh, wow. That was 18 years ago. And because he didn't give up and he didn't stop looking for mm -hmm. an answer, he got very good, very early intervention. And so he's been living with Parkinson's for 18 years, is still very ambulatory, has very good quality of life, oh, you know. Mm -hmm. Really aggressive treatment, and so because he didn't give up on finding out what the answer is, um, right? And you know, mental health is so stigmatized, but mental health, in my opinion, is not any different from medical health. And and, you, yeah, I think it's the same thing. The same so if, thing. Your brain is is you know the most. I think it's the most. And I'm biased towards brains, but it's the most important organ in your body. Yeah. Um, and, and it is a, a medical thing. Depression's a medical issue. ADHD is a medical issue. You know, anxiety. We could go on and on. Um, but yeah, it's a medical issue. And if you see someone that I, I always am wary of, people that say, "Well, there's no such thing as diagnosis," and you know, you're trying to make money off, you know, telling people they're sick. And yeah, um, the, the reason why we have diagnoses is that let's say you and I, Rebecca, are talking about a, a client. If I say that person has ADHD, we know that there's an umbrella of symptoms that I don't have to name every symptom for you because you kind of get it. Right. And that's right. why we do diagnosis. It's not to pigeonhole people. It's, it's, to, it's to give you a – it helps you kind of put the puzzle together. We're giving you the missing puzzle piece. So I had a client um, many years ago, one of my first cases, 
um, when I was in my externship, actually. And she came in and she said, I'm schizophrenic. Right, and that's, that's how she identified. I'm mm-hmm. schizophrenic. And she had been to a lot of therapy and a lot of different people who had tried to help her over the years. And I looked right back at her and I said, I'm short. Right? And she, <laughs> she was astonished. And I said, I'm short. I'm under five foot tall. I'm short. Um, and so my, what I need to know about my life is, you know, where do I put the stool so I can reach stuff? Mm-hmm. So my question is to you, Miss Schizophrenic, what tools do you use to help you go through your life. Mm-hmm. But it, because the diagnosis, yes, tells me about a cluster of behaviors or symptoms or whatever it is, but it doesn't tell me anything about who you are. Right. I always tell people, you know, that you, you happen to have ADHD. It's a part of you, but you are not the embodiment of it, that you have a lot of other characteristics. And I think that it's easy to fall into that, especially when you've been living with the symptoms. But I think it's always mm-hmm. important to point out to people that, you could have ADHD and someone else could have ADHD and you could have totally different interests or different ways that you live your life. Uh, and, and that's fine. And so I think one of the things that good therapists do is they help you, uh, to kind of, to heal, but not become the diagnosis. Right. Right. I, you know, I spend a lot of time, um, you know, talking about what other things make you, you, you know, someone mm-hmm. comes in, and she's, I mean, she said, I'm schizophrenic. And I said, I'm short. And then we had a conversation mm-hmm. about her favorite color, her favorite bands, you know, what music meant to her, how she used music in her life. And that became much more focal in developing tools and skills to walk through her life. Mm-hmm. Because, right, because music was really what she was about. She wasn't right. really, a, and so that's much more interesting, mm-hmm. you know. Oh, yeah. And I, I think it's also important to know, too, that, that, if you're in a therapy session and you think that we're asking weird stuff, like you're paying us to to meet with you and we're asking you stuff like what kind of music do you like or what do you do for fun? We aren't asking that just for no reason. Um, we're asking it to develop rapport and communication uh, with you because you, it's, it, we don't want to dive right in and go, Hey, you know, what's your issues? Um, that right. <laughs> loses people. Um, but you were developing rapport. And also the reason why I ask you, um, what you'd like to do is I'm looking for anhedonia. Anhedonia is something that goes along with depression, which means you don't find things interesting that you used to find interesting. So, and if you're not sure why a therapist asks you a certain question, you can just come out and say, oh, I'm just curious why you're asking that. And again, I really appreciate when people ask me, uh, tell me why you're asking me that. Cause some of the, and I'll even preface it with, this is a really weird question, but you know, yeah. So, oh, yeah. And I, and I think so I interrupted weird. you, so I apologize, but no, that's totally okay. I, you know, I, I just think it's so important, and I, you know, I, I, particularly in light of, you know, this this person on Twitter who puts herself out as this board-certified licensed sex coach therapist person, right? Mm-hmm. You know, I always want my clients to feel very empowered, right? Mm-hmm. Empowered to to ask critical questions, be critical thinkers about the services they're receiving, whether it's for me or someone else, to to feel as though they can question me and go, you know, why are you asking me this series of questions or I'm not really comfortable. And right. Like that's really important to do. Um, particularly if you're going to do some pretty tricky therapeutic work, if you're going to get really deep, you need to be really comfortable with the person you're working with. And, and I always want my clients to, to, to feel very much in power of that situation. 
Right. And I think that's another thing about licensure and going to an accredited program is you are taught that how important autonomy is. And what I mean by autonomy, uh, listeners, is that, uh, that you are the captain of your own ship's boat, so to speak, that we can give you guidelines and we can give you suggestions and provide therapy, but ultimately those decisions, you have a right to make decisions about your treatment. Uh, you have the right to make decisions about your life overall, and we are taught how important that is. Uh, so again, we are, we are kind of, we are kind of assisting you, but, um, but good therapists will guide you to autonomy. We don't want you to be dependent on us, you know, and you aren't by, by contacting us. You're not dependent. You're, you're, we're interdependent kind of. Uh, so right. I think that's important to note too, that, that by calling a therapist doesn't mean that you are locked into something. You can mm-hmm. leave therapy at any time. And again, if you go to a therapist or someone that says they're a therapist or a coach and they lock you into a certain number of sessions, you know, run. Um, cause yeah. again, that's not ethical practice. Yeah, it's not, it's not ethical. You know, the, I, you know, the, I always like to use metaphors and, and, you know, because sometimes we get into technical language as therapists. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I kind of do, I relate it in this way, right? Um, so I recognize that I need help because my home doesn't have any blinds and I need new shutters and new curtains. Mm-hmm. And I, I recognize that I need this. Um, and I'm not really sure what I want, but I know that I need to call someone to come to my house and show me different colors and different fabrics and different ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I get to pick which colors and fabrics and which way I want my shutters mm-hmm. to open or close. And, and and I get to make those decisions and, and they'll guide me. They'll say, well, this product's really cheap and maybe it's not your best choice. And this product maybe is more expensive, but maybe it's better. Or maybe, you know what, you don't need that. And, and so mm-hmm. I make the decisions, but somebody right. assists me in, in choosing how to decorate my house. Right. And um, you may, and you may meet with someone that goes, Hey, um, here's my style. And you're like, that's totally my style too. This is going to work great. And then you may meet someone that you're like, you, this is just not working. Like you're not giving me the right blinds that I'm thinking of. Like I'm expressing something to you and it's not clicking. So, you know, it's the same kind of thing with therapy. You're exactly. going to meet some people that you're like, Oh, they get me. And other people that you're just like, mm, no. And again, Correct. that's completely exactly. normal. And it's okay to go to even two, three therapists to find a good fit. Right. I mean, if you're going to get two or three estimates for blinds and mm-hmm. shutters in your house, why not? You know, right. go, go shop around a little so you find a therapist you really click with. Right. And, and I had a client that did that. She said, um, just to be transparent, she said, I am going to three different therapists to see which one I want to go to. And uh, and I thought, you know, that's a smart consumer. Because right. she's going to go and she's also being very upfront about it. Uh, which I appreciate. She said, I'm going to go three different people and I'll let you know. And I said, even if you don't come back, you don't have to call me or anything. It's okay. You know? Um, and it turns out that she, I don't take insurance. So that was her main decision in, in picking another therapist is that, you know, she sure. you know, had issues of paying out of pocket, which is totally understandable. Um, but you know, I, it's okay to do that. Um, and I mean, I know I felt funny, like I had hand surgery and my hand surgeon had something wrong with his arm for a while. And so I saw another hand surgeon and then my first hand surgeon, when he got all healed up, I went to his office to, about my neck surgery. And he's like, oh, I, I saw that you saw da, 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 Dr. Blah. And I was like, I am so sorry. <laughs> and he's like, it's okay. He's like, I, I, my arm wasn't working well. Like you could, you have the right to go see someone else. And I just felt incredibly guilty. <laughs> so, right. so I get that feeling of you feel weird about going to somebody else or getting another opinion. 
Um, I mean, I even feel that way sometimes with my hairdresser. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> like, I totally didn't get my haircut somewhere else. But, you know, but therapists, again, a good therapist encourages you to, to see what other therapists are out there. They may even recommend to you who you should go to to check them out. A, a not very good therapist will say, well, why do you need to go to someone else? They'll get defensive. Agree. Agree 100%. If, if someone is not a very good therapist, really, they're going to fight to keep your business. Mm-hmm. And, and therapy is about you, the consumer. It's not about the therapist. Right. Right. And, and also, if you go to a therapy session, the therapist is making most session about them. That's also a red flag. Absolutely. We are taught very clearly that the therapy session is the client's, not ours. Now, it's different if you say, hey, you know, my kid did this and this is how I dealt with it. You, you, you can do little self-disclosures. You're allowed to do that. But again, when it's becoming a therapist session, and I think clients will probably get an intuition that that's happening, they'll know it when they see it, uh, that's a big red flag as well. And again, you know, when you're licensed and truly board certified, you are held to some pretty tight standards as to what is okay and what's not okay in therapy sessions. Yeah, I will tell you, I, you know, I'm a member of the um, American Bar Association. I'm a member of the Florida Bar Association. And... You know, I've read the, the rules of professional conduct, which are the ethical guidelines for both of those. And I'm also a member of the American Association of Marriage and Family Therapists. And, of course, I've read those, those ethical guidelines. And I will tell you that it is my professional opinion that the ethical guidelines that govern therapists are far more stringent than the ethical guidelines that guide attorneys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I think therapists are held to a very high standard of ethics and professionalism, which I really appreciate. Mm-hmm. And which also makes us really mad when someone claims they're a therapist and they're not. Because <laughs> we yeah. know how, hard, how tough it is. And thank you for sharing that the, compared to the bars. I know the bar is very stringent. Um, so it, that yeah. really puts a different lens on it that, you know, that again, because we're talking with people, you know, and their psychological issues, uh, and we're, there's a psychological intimacy that develops, you know, again, you know, we are held to a pretty strict microscope. On, uh, on our behavior. So, um, again, you know, uh, buyer beware, um, Google, <laughs> you know, Google, Google, Google. Uh, we're living in an age now where you can look up anybody online. And again, this is how we found out that this person was not a licensed therapist, is that she did not show up anywhere uh, on the uh, Florida lookup screen. Um, and, you know, and she finally admitted it in her own words, so that she was not licensed. So, and still said, well, I can still call myself a sex therapist. I'm like, no, here's the law. Here's, here's a, here's a link. I'm going to cut and paste the law for you that says that you cannot call yourself a sex therapist. Uh, so again, you know, just, um, there are people that, that may call themselves therapists that aren't, unfortunately. Uh, I, I think that it's important to point out that there are many more people that are true therapists that are really willing to help you and want to help you and have a passion for helping people, and that far outnumbers the people that um, use it fraudulently. Um, but again, you know, just to protect yourself and, again, to be a good consumer, um, always double-check on your therapist credentials. Could not agree more. It's always important to be informed. It is. It is. And again, you, know, you are a consumer of therapy services. So, so anything that you'd like to mention as we wrap up, Rebecca? Um, well, I think people should follow us both on Twitter because we're pretty interesting folks. There you go. It's, so, uh, yeah, what's your Twitter address? So my, my Twitter address is kind of fun. It's at Q-R-E-B-E-K-A-H. That's Rebecca with a silent Q. And if you're a total nerd, you will understand the Monty Python reference. 
Ah, see, I, my brother is into Monty Python. I am not, so now I'm going to ask him. Now you can ask him. Okay, will do. <laughs> and then, then mine is not up to you. Mine's Stephanie Sarkis because, uh, again, I'm not, I'm not a Monty Pythoner. So, um, is, is there a name for Monty Python? Is it like Parrot Heads, like Jimmy Buffett? Like, is there a name for people that are Monty Python people? I, I don't think so. Though, if I had to guess, I'd say we were flying circuses. Oh, I like that. If I had to guess one. So as a circus, I should probably be part of the Flying Circus. <laughs> That's fantastic. Close. I've actually had people write my last name out of circus. So, oh, yes, fantastic. me, this is where I was meant to be. Yeah. So, Look at that. So it's Q, Rebecca, with a K, right? So And, uh, and an H. It's and Q. An H. <laughs> I'll spell it again. It's okay. Q, Q-R-E-B-E-K-A-H. And you are also on Facebook, uh under uh, uh, Rebecca, and your last name is... Oh, I just, and, I just it's, okay. It? it's okay. You can find me on Facebook under the law offices of Rebecca Amster, PA. Amster. That's. I was thinking of Amsterdam, and I knew but, that that was not the, not the right word. You got it right. You got it <laughs> oh, right. I got the first part, yeah. So, And then my website, stephaniesarkis.com. And, and ask either one of us questions about therapy. Uh, we're, we're more than happy to help. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, on this podcast, we are going to talk more about therapy and, and what your rights are and, and how to make your brain feel a little happier. Uh, so then that concludes this podcast. So thank you very much, Rebecca. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much, Stephanie. It was a pleasure.